been my habit over the years to seek the Lord at the end of December or beginning of January in regard to a word from the Lord for the church, and not only for this church, but for the church in general, and I carry that with me to various churches, especially those I have close relationship with, uh, but you get to hear it first. So I, I was seeking the Lord in January, at the beginning of January, and the Lord gave me a real uh, clear sense of direction, and the word was, you have need of repentance. You have need of repentance. And uh, I thought about that. I thought, that's a pretty strong word. But the Lord actually spoke to me very clearly that repentance is not a negative topic. It's a positive topic. Repentance is positive. Uh, Mother Bachelia Schlink of the German Lutheran Sisterhood of Mary, who many of the older ones here may remember, uh, once wrote a book called Repentance, the Joy-Filled Life. Repentance, the Joy-Filled Life. And in the introduction to that book, it says repentance is a treasure. The secret of a joy-filled life, for he who is forgiven much, loves much. Uh, I was thinking as I was sitting there about the message and just how repentance causes a breaking. Actually, I, w I was coming under some attack and I was thinking, you know, Satan really doesn't like repentance really doesn't like repentance and uh, would do anything he could to keep people from coming uh, to repentance. Repentance brings freedom from bondage, the breaking of strongholds, and the removal of obstacles to spiritual life and health. And I want to repeat that. Freedom from bondage, the breaking of strongholds, and the removal of obstacles to spiritual life and health. Revival and fresh anointing come through repentance, both individually and corporately. Uh, Evan Roberts, the great Welsh revivalist, listed four conditions for revival, and the very first one was, is there any sin in your past with which you have not honestly dealt, not confessed to God, on your knees at once? Your past must be put away and cleansed. And we're going to get to the point uh, very quickly in reference to the beginning of a new year and the idea of putting the past behind and starting afresh, uh, talking about resolutions that we would make, etc. cetera. Uh, this would be a timely, very, very timely word. We think about that. We think about making certain resolutions. We want change. We want to do better. Uh, we want this year to be better than the last in regard to our own lives. But without repentance... There is no true nor lasting change. So you say, well, what do I need to repent of? Uh, at the Jesus Inn, we, we used to have a joke. You know, you'd walk up and say, brother, you need to repent. And he'd say, what of? And you'd say, that's the first thing you need to repent of. You need to repent of not feeling that you, have, that you don't have anything you, you need to repent of. Because there's always something in there to deal with. You need to repent of not feeling we have anything we need to repent of. And it says that very clearly. 1 John 1. Turn to 1 John 1, verse 8 through 10. 1 John 1, 8 through 10. 
If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So there's always something to repent of. Well, what this means actually is that we need to walk in a spirit of repentance, a spirit of repentance. You know, I was thinking about, I, I remember as a young Christian, every night I would lay in bed and review the day and make sure there wasn't something I needed to repent of. There's nothing wrong with that, but it, it's better if you just do it moment by moment, hour by hour, you know, just keep it clear. Attitudes, words, thoughts, you know, really what it does is it, it causes you to constantly remain in the presence of the Lord. Walking in a spirit of repentance. <clears throat> Walking in a spirit of repentance is true humility. Think about that. That's true humility. Really realizing how wretched we are without the constant grace of God. Uh, I met with an old prophetic brother. Some of you know him, Brother Drew Graham. And he's in his late 80s, and so he's a bit infirmed. Uh, he doesn't get around a lot. He was talking to me about how he felt really condemned because he slept so much. He said, I don't seem to be accomplishing much. You know, I'm sleeping. I, I do get to preach periodically, et cetera, et cetera. He said, and he, and he does this, you know, because he's prophetic. He said, and the devil comes to me and tells me how wretched I am. You know, so the first thing I said to him was, I said, it's like an echo because he would say this to me. But I said to him, I said, I said, brother, I said, the devil's a liar. So, you know, basically, how do you know the devil's lying? Because he's saying something. He's a liar. Okay, so you don't believe it. On the other hand, I said it says to agree with your adversary quickly. Just tell him, you're right. I'm a wretch. I'm a wretch, but for the grace of God, you know. And, and that is totally disarming. That is totally disarming. Okay? Here's what Paul said in Romans 7.15. In Romans 7, 15. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And then in verse 18, I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. And it ends with, thank God for Jesus and the grace of God. There is no good that dwells in us outside of God's grace and God's mercy. St. Augustine once said, free will without God's grace and the Holy Ghost can do nothing but sin. Can do nothing but sin. Brother Lawrence the Carmelite monk who wrote Practicing the Presence of God said it this way, if God were to leave me, but for a moment, I could do nothing but sin. I could do nothing but sin. It is the constraining power of the Holy Spirit within us. So we need to repent. There's a prayer of David, which we can use in regard to repentance. It's Psalm 139. Psalm 139. Verse 23 and 24. I remember someone shared that this is a, uh, a prayer for cleansing, okay? 
Psalm 139, 23 through 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. One verse says, know my anxious thoughts. And see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The clear thing here is, search me, O God. And we request that. It isn't something we do ourselves. It's something we allow the Holy Spirit to do in us, to search us. What areas should be searched in regard to repentance? Look at Psalm 24, uh, verse 3 through 5. Psalm 24, 3 through 5. You know, it used to be you heard a rustling of pages, and now people are doing this. You, don't, you can't hear that, so you don't know when they get there. Okay. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, and has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. And I I have shared this before, but this is specifically applicable uh, to uh, repentance, okay? These are the four areas that are to be examined. One, clean hands. Two, pure heart. Two, do not lift up your soul to an idol. Four, do not swear deceitfully. And I broke these down once. These are four areas of our being. Number one is actions. Actions. That which we do or that which we don't do that we should do. That's omission and commission. That which we don't do that we should do. One of my greatest, you know, constant resolutions is to be more disciplined in spiritual activity. You know, more times of prayer, more time in the Word. I mean, this is, you can't have enough, and I'm under constant conviction in regard to that. So that which you don't do that you should do. Okay, number two, motives. What is the purpose behind our actions and words? And I pray about that, you know, that my motives be pure, that it's out of the love of God, which would be the first motive. The other would be uh, the love and concern for that person, and so on. Okay, someone since, I think it was, See, joy, you know, Jesus first, others next, you're last. Okay? Talking about motive. Okay, number three, thoughts. This is a tough one. A tough one. Someone once said, that which possesses your thoughts is what you worship. That's a real reproof. That which possesses your thoughts is what you worship. Martin Luther once said, whatever your heart clings to, and I... I was really meditating on that word clings because I think that's really the issue here in regard to it being sin, okay? That which your heart clings to and confides in is really your God. That's what he said. Whatever your heart clings to and confides in is really your God. So it isn't just the thoughts that pass through, but those that you cling to. Someone said you can't stop the birds from flying overhead. You can stop them from making a nest in your hair. Right? And it's, it's a struggle. I catch myself. I'm, I'm like, you know, what, what in the world? <laughs> what am I thinking about that for? Okay? And number four, the words that we speak. And we were talking about witnessing and, you know, uh, 
think it was uh, St. Francis, said uh, that we should preach the gospel at all times and if we have to with words. That's a paraphrase, okay? And I thought about that, and that sounds good, and I do believe that our, 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 our life actions and the things that we do should bear witness to the words that we speak. But you know, people are not saved through our actions, they're saved through receiving the Word of God. They're saved through receiving the Word of God. There's something, and you know, we don't want to do, we don't want to throw the, out the baby with the bathwater. There's something about the power of our words. There's a reality to that. I mean, it's been taken too far, you know, that we have such power over the creative word that we can create things like God and so on. But there is power in our words. There's just something spiritual about that, especially and particularly uh, for a believer. So the words that we speak, we need to be responsible. We need to be specific and complete in our confession of sin. Uh, and I, I've shared this before, but it comes up pretty consistently about sharing with the Lord, Lord, I'm a sinner, and the Lord says, yes, I know, tell me what it is. You know, be specific before God. If we want forgiveness and deliverance from specific sin, then we need to be specific in our confession. Isaiah 6, verse 1. Isaiah 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. With two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke presence of the Lord came into the temple. So Isaiah said, woe is me for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. We don't know the specific sin, but it had something to do obviously with words, his lips, but he was specific. He was specific in his confession as to a, a certain area. What happened next? Isaiah 6, 6 through 7. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he'd taken from the tongs, taken with the tongs from the altar. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is purged. He confessed specific sin, and God purified the specific area of sin and forgave him of that sin. 1 John 1.9. 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How much unrighteousness? All. How many of your sins does... God forgive you of when you confess them. All. And no sin is too small and no sin is too great. If God brings it to mind, it's not too small. It's an issue with him. And you would go to someone and say, you know, the Lord convicted me about this. And they go, that's crazy. That's nothing. I mean, that's not even sin. Well, maybe not for them, but maybe for you it is. 
That's, we're going to get to that in a minute. We need to be obedient to God. We cannot compare ourselves with others. Well, Lord, you let them do that, so I can do that too. No, no, for you, it's going to be a stumbling block. It's going to be a problem. Uh, we used to have a thing about if you, can't, if you can't do something in moderation, then you need to abstain. If you can do it in moderation, otherwise you need to abstain. The other issue, of course, is that don't let your doing it in moderation be a stumbling block to someone else. God may have given you liberty in an area, and you do it in moderation, but you can't do it around certain people. We, I mean, we, we get into specifics, but you know where, where I'm coming from here. That's reality. And actually, that being a stumbling block is, 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 is a sin. In regard to this verse, in the Nelson New King James Study Bible Commentary, it's a Bible with commentary, it says this, progress, change, and reform. And most importantly at all, God's forgiveness all start with confession. Progress, change, reform, and forgiveness. Only open confession of our sins will completely cleanse us. Only when we admit that we are sinners unworthy of God's grace can we make a fresh start. I like this. C.S. Lewis said, no man knows how bad he is till he has tried very hard to be good. I don't want to get too personal. I want to tell you what that is. Okay. God's forgiveness will liberate us to begin anew on the path of righteousness. And again, I see a direct application to the fresh start of a new year. I really feel this is an applicable word time-wise. I mean, it's a good word anytime, but time-wise. To begin anew on a path of righteousness. Confession of specific sin and repentance is the only thing that will bring God's forgiveness as well as change in our lives. And this is the area that I just touched on. We also need to repent of anything that hinders our spiritual life or our love for the Lord. And that's different for each individual. I mean, some things are common, but other things are just different. There are things that if you participate in that, it will actually dim your love for the Lord. And it will actually hinder your spiritual life. And I call it spiritual drains. It'll drain you spiritually. Okay? D.L. Moody, the great 18th century American evangelist, said anything that interrupts our communion with God, that hinders the progress of our spiritual life, that chills our affection for Christ, anything that does that, we ought to give up. These are liberties. These are not sins. These are things that, again, moderation, we, we talked a bit about that. But we need to be willing to repent of anything that interrupts our communion with God, and this is different with each individual person. You cannot compare yourself with others. This is between you and God alone. You may find yourself repenting of things that God allows others to participate in. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. 
We need to be willing to repent of those things that are lawful, but which hinder our spiritual life. Again, those things that drain us of spiritual power, not only to lay aside sin, but everything else, any weight that hinders our running the race. Any weight that hinders our running the race. And I've shared this before. It's a quote that I've actually shared here a number of times, but it's so applicable. It's called, Others May, But You Cannot. And uh, we have copies of it. If you want a copy, uh, let me know and we'll get that to you. We have it in a bookmark where you can stick it in your Bible. Others may, you cannot. If God has called you to be really like Jesus, he will draw you into a life of crucifixion and humility and put upon you such demands of obedience that you will not be able to follow other people or measure yourselves by other Christians. And in many ways, he will seem to let other people do things which he will not let you do. The Holy Spirit will put a strict watch over you with jealous love and will rebuke you for little words and feelings. This is one that really gets me. Or for wasting your time. And and I think the older you get, the more you realize how fast time goes. How fast time goes. It was only, I'm thinking, you know, just a few years ago in August of 1977 that I preached a message in the church and was ordained as an elder and a pastor. Uh, 77. At 30 years old, and I'm 65. What is that? You know? Where did that go? Where did that go? And what did I do? What did I do with all that time? What did I do with all that time? I remember when I turned 50, the Lord spoke to me. It was so clear. It was the middle of the night. And he said, it was very interesting. He said, the first 25 years of your life, you were an unbeliever. He said, the, 22nd, the, the, the second 25 years of your life, you know, I've used you in the ministry. And he said, the last 25, I don't know, 75, but I, the next 75. He didn't say last. He said, thank goodness. He said, next, next 75, next 25. <laughs> <laughs> the next 25 will be more powerful and fruitful than ever. And I, I took heart with that. But time, what do we do with our time? Or for wasting time, which other Christians never feel distressed over. So make up your mind that God is infinite, is infinite sovereign and has a right to do as he pleases with his own. We need to be willing to repent and to give to God those things which God touches individually in each of our lives. If we want to change our lives, if we want change, if we want to be able to fulfill New Year's resolutions, we need to first repent. Start clean, first repent. Number one, actions. That which we do or that which we should have done but did not do or should do but but are not doing. Number two, motives, the purpose behind our actions and words. I like that thing about joy. Jesus first, others second, your last. Thoughts, those thoughts you have willingly given place to, the ones you cling to. And you know, that's where strongholds start. There's a whole, really, teaching and deliverance. You know, strongholds start 
with your mind and thoughts and clinging to minds. And then a stronghold develops. And out of a stronghold, actions take place. So you need to catch it quickly. I think uh, probably thoughts first and then words and then actions. And uh, these strongholds are hard to break, but through repentance, they can be broken. Words, the words that we speak, our word holds power. I, I really feel, and I, I have always felt, I shared in, and have taught on the prophetic ministry of which God has called me, that the greater portion of the prophetic ministry is that of edification and encouragement and comfort. You know, I try, try to affirm, I try to think of things to affirm and, and to encourage people. Because, you know, people, it's like the Lord looked and he saw that they were distraught and they were scattered as sheep without a shepherd. And that's the, way, that's the situation people are in. If I see a waitress, if I see anybody, I try to think, what can I do, you know, to encourage, to strengthen them? Words carry a lot of weight. I mean, simple words to a waitress or to, uh, or to uh, some service person who's, who's caring for you. Uh, my wife and I went to uh, Walt Helmrich's uh, funeral, and Hans Helmrich, who most of us know, shared uh, on his dad. And it was, it, was, it was really, really great. I mean, Hans is a very good speaker. But he shared, a, he shared a story about his father, and he said this man came to him, a businessman, said, I want to tell you a story about your father. I was in an ice cream store, and there was a guy in front of me, and the guy in front of him was giving the, the, the girl who was doing, serving the ice cream a really hard time. I mean, really hard time, and finally just stormed out. And the man that was in front of me stepped forward and asked her if he could see the manager, and she was kind of, you know, so the manager came out, and he said, I just want to tell you what fine people you have working here and how they handle people. And he just went on like that. And uh, he said the girl's countenance just lit up, you know, just lit up with healing from that affirmation. And the man said, then I saw him turn and leave, and it was your dad. It was Walt Helmrich the third. So I, you know, just, we, we have no idea uh, what can happen through an encouraging word, through an encouraging word. Number five, those things God is touching individually in each one of us that are weights, that are distractions, that are liberties which are obstacles to your spiritual life. Those are the hardest ones. And I, you know, I, 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 I've really talked to the Lord about this in my own life and what I've come up with, and I, I've told him this, you know, it's, Okay, it's not sin, but I, I asked him, I said, Lord, forgive me for these weaknesses that I have, this lack of discipline, this weakness in my flesh. And that's uh, one, this is the idea. Distractions, liberties, which are obstacles to our spiritual life. We need to repent to move forward into this year. This is timely. Unhindered by past sin, that we might walk in God's victory and his power. Let me finish with a, a quote by Oswald Chambers. He's a, he was a Scottish Baptist pastor. He lived in the eight, late 1800s, and he wrote a devotional that most of us know about, My Utmost for His Highest. And this is December 31st, December 31st, end of the year. The title is, God Requireth That Which Is Past. It didn't give a reference, so I had to look it up. And it's Ecclesiastes 3.15. It's very interesting. Ecclesiastes 3.15, it's actually a pretty profound verse. 
That which hath been is now, and that which is to be hath already been, and God requireth that which is past. That's King James. That's where he got the reference. In the New King James, it says this, that which is has already been, and you can see that in regard to God's will in heaven being done on earth, There's some, and what is to be has already been, because God knows. But the last part is, and God requires an account of what is past. God requires an account of what is past. One of the things that really bothers me, and I try not to be judgmental, but really bothers me is when someone falls into, you know, uh, obvious sin, you have a pastor, he falls into adultery, destroys his marriage, marries this other woman, he's out of ministry. After about 15 years or so, he comes back. And everything's supposed to be fine. Everything's fine. What's fine? Everything's fine. Hadn't repented, you know, but everything's fine. Well, that was, you know, 15 years ago. God says, no, it was yesterday. A thousand years is a day. A day is a thousand years. I mean, what? Time heals all wounds or something. You know, it just, it, it just, it really grates on me. That, that sense of... Uh, Maybe taking the God, grace of God for granted or, you know, I, I don't know. But, you know, it basically is very, very clear that the Word of God says that he requires an account of what is past. Unless you've repented and done your best. I know one brother, I won't mention his name, who fell into that very sin. Uh, he didn't use this as an excuse, but later they find, found out he was bipolar and he was manic and he was doing all kinds of things. And he committed adultery and ruined his marriage, and finally he got cleared up, and he was on medication, realized what had done, and he just humbly fell on his face. He repented, and uh, the marriage was not able to be restored. He was already remarried. But, you know, God can move on with a person who's repentant and can redeem. That's a very confused situation, but he can redeem a man's life uh, through repentance. So Oswald Chambers goes on and says this, at the end of the year, we turn with eagerness to all that God has for the future. And yet anxiety is apt to arise from remembering the yesterdays. Our present enjoyment of God's grace is checked by the memory of yesterday's sins and blunders. Through repentance, my emphasis, through repentance, God's hand reaches back to the past and makes a clearinghouse for conscience. Leave the irreparable past in his hands. Because, see, redemption is directly tied to repentance. And redemption can't really kick in until there's repentance. And, and then, then all these verses kick in. God works all things together for good to them who love God. All these verses kick in. All these promises kick back in and, and move into that area that was sin. Through repentance, God's hand reaches back to the past, makes a clearinghouse for conscience, leave the irreparable past in his hands, and step out into the irresistible future with him. We need to repent to go forward into this year. I don't think resolutions are a bad thing to set goals. In fact, I think they should be in the very areas where our weaknesses are, that our weaknesses would become strengths but it's only going to happen through repentance. 
Let's stand, would we? This has not been a long message, so we, we, have, we have time here to conduct business with God. We have time. I'm going to pray this prayer for us, uh, David's prayer of cleansing. And after I pray, I want us to just wait before the Lord as individuals. Just wait before the Lord and let him uh, do a clearing of the house in preparation for this year, that we can go forward in power and in victory. You can remain standing. You can kneel. Uh, you can walk. I know Terry likes to walk, Terry Ligon. You can walk. You can come to the front. You can receive prayer from one of the elders. Another thing that struck me is you can pray for one another. Wives can pray for husbands, husbands for wives. There's a verse in James 5, 16 that says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful in its effect. There's an appropriate time for confession of sin to a peer or to a leader. You know, the Catholic Church abused that, but that priestly function is a reality. And there's a time for that. I remember Chuck shared that. There's a time and a place where the only sense of release you can get is by getting it out in the open with someone else that you trust. Just share with them. Have them pray with you. So I want you to be open with that also. There may be someone you need to go to. But let's, let's do that. Let me just pray this. We will wait again um, however you want. Sit, kneel. We're going to take some time. Well, Lord, we ask you to search us. These areas, there may be others that I've missed, to search us and to know our heart, to try us to know our anxieties. Lord, if there's any wicked way in us, Lord, show us. Show us, O oh Lord. Bring conviction of sin. I was thinking about the verse that talked about godly sorrow that bringeth forth the fruit of repentance. God, let it be so. In Jesus' name, Father, lead us in the way everlasting. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Please feel free. Next five, ten minutes. Dave, could we put the microphone out if someone needs to pray a prayer or share something? But let's let's just take our liberty. Hallelujah, Lord.
I've heard a couple of themes that have spoken to me this morning. And in uh, repentance, it's not so much the sins of commission, but the sins of omission. hear this thread through this message today of evangelism. And um, so I want to be more open to the Holy Spirit speaking to me to be a risk taker to share the Lord in the everyday situations. And um, I've had two instances that have happened this week. And I can be self-condemning because they don't follow quite what I'm used to doing as being a great witnesser. And I feel the Lord encouraging me that we are free to try new approaches. And not let Satan trick us that, you know, well, you didn't have scripture, or you didn't do this that way. And uh, so I want to repent that uh, not being in the Word and praying and uh, being open for opportunities to share the Lord with people. And so that's maybe a little different twist, but that's that's what I got out of this morning. So I want to encourage you, you know, if you have old giants that you're uh, battling,